Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Ah, the ghost. They're likely evacuating the Tresoner's inhabitants before we can arrest them. As for this Iron Squadron, very curious. another episode of Full of Sith. I'm your host, Brian Young. Uh, as we do usually every year after a, a con like Salt Lake Comic Con, we have a lot of uh, great panel content to bring you from the, uh, for the show. This week we have a panel on Grand Admiral Thrawn uh, that uh, I was able to preside over, and we had Timothy Zahn with us and Matt Martin from the Lucasfilm Story Group. And uh, it was a lot of fun. This was just a couple of weeks before they announced the reveal of the sequel to Thrawn. And you can see, or hear rather, uh, Tim getting a little cagey about it. Uh, but, but not in a way that we would have guessed that they'd already asked for a sequel and that it was probably already close to done. Uh, he's done it once again. Uh, we will be, uh, as soon as this panel goes, we'll be back soon with the trailer council that Bobby Roberts is putting together and that Holly is going to be participating in with uh, a lot of others because the trailer hits, uh, tonight if you're listening to this in the afternoon or if it may have already hit by the time that you're, you're listening to this. But, uh, you've got that to look forward to as well. And, uh, I hope you enjoy this uh, this panel. For you, how did Thrawn... I mean, you've been writing Thrawn for uh, 25 plus years now, right? Yeah. Uh, how has Thrawn evolved for you, especially now with the most recent outing where you actually wrote him at the youngest you ever had? Uh, not actually outbound flight. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, also, but, yeah, this is... Almost the youngest. Almost, yeah. <laughs> it's... Um, I mean, at the beginning, we, we had the Thrawn in the trilogy. We didn't have much backstory for him. We didn't even name the Chiss. Uh, when I got the Hand of Thrawn duology, I wanted to work back up a little bit more of that, fill in you know, the species name, the Chiss, but also give him the reason for why he was supporting the Empire uh, in the original trilogy, the idea being there's, there are nasty things out there in the unknown regions. We need somebody, some some group here, you know, be it uh, Republic or uh, Empire, that is strong enough and unified enough to fight back effectively. And his, consent, his estimation had been that the Empire is the one I need to back. Uh, I did mention a couple of times, and of course I threw in that uh, uh, the, uh, the, the little hook for a possible book too, if, you know, <clears throat> if Lucasfilm you know, gets around to approving. So <clears throat> Not to put you on the spot or anything, uh, the idea that he had met Anakin Skywalker and therefore likely had been looking around during the Clone Wars. 
Um, and we, we I developed that a little bit more in the in the book Thrawn as well. So he has not changed the character. It's more like I've just been filling in more details of who he is, where he comes from. Uh, with Thrawn, he's now, it's not, people say, well, what's the difference between him and the legends, Thrawn? Nothing. He's the same character. It's just a different part of his timeline. He meshes perfectly well with everything I've done, uh, which is also important to me to, to do with this book. So, um, the, the character was pretty well established in my mind from the beginning. It's just I'm filling in the map more about him. Matt, I'd like to ask you about the idea that uh, Thrawn is probably one of the biggest characters from the what is now Legends timeline that's come over and crossed over into the canon. And, and you, you hear people at Lucasfilm talk about Thrawn and Heir to the Empire specifically with, with sort of a, a reverence for the character. And I'm wondering, like that's not necessarily a show like what is it about Thrawn that is so appealing to the story group as it stands and how Lucasfilm is telling stories I mean I think it's just he's such an interesting character to work with because most of our villains are you know pretty evil scheming and Thrawn you know you can you can kind of get behind him to a certain extent he's a he's a really relatively relatable villain and He's so smart compared to everyone else that we work with that it really sets him apart and makes every story with him different. It's actually a really fun challenge because when you have a villain that smart, it's really hard to have the good guys win. Um, (laughs) That was actually something I told Tim reading this new book. uh, It felt like a Sherlock Holmes novel, but I couldn't tell if Thrawn was Holmes or Moriarty. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Depends on your point of view. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what can you take us a little bit into uh, why why he actually made the jump? Um, I mean that that really stemmed completely from rebels and the need to have a new epic villain. They wanted somebody that was imperial. They wanted somebody that felt different from Vader and Inquisitors and everything that had come before. And I think it was just kind of a natural choice. Like why create something new when we have something so awesome? And everybody's going to like it, and we all like it, and it just kind of it was a, it was a very natural jump. Is it what, what I especially like about that is that among the the internal logic that Rebels has done, and you know, story group and everything, third season is exactly where you want to bring in Thrawn. You mm-hmm. don't want to bring him in earlier because these guys are a minor nuisance up until that point. So you don't bring up the big guns. So not only okay, we want to bring in Thrawn, but we want to bring him in where it feels right. And I, I'm a big fan of internal logic and internal reasoning, and you miss it so much in Hollywood. <laughs> exactly. If we would have brought him in any sooner, I don't think the Rebels would have survived past season yeah. one. <laughs> I don't think that's an exaggeration. No. Like, there's no way they could have even had a chance against Thrawn. And when it comes down to it, if it wasn't for, you know, for the Bendu, quick, they wouldn't quick, have had a chance. Quick question. How many of you have not seen all of season three who intend to see season three? Okay, so we want to be careful on okay. spoilers. Um, so, <laughs> with Thrawn, right? Thrawn has been a character. Great job. Thrawn has been a character in your head for so long, right? Yeah. You've been you've been writing him as a character in a novel. What's that like seeing him move and speak and the music they set for him? I mean, Thrawn has his own theme now, and I think yeah. it's it's pretty so, stunning. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
if any of you haven't like picked up on the like Thrawn's theme, it's this really beautiful sort of like organ music that's almost a little bit like uh, like like James Mason on the Nautilus. A little bit. There's a certain hint of that, yeah. And if you, YouTube's got several people who've pulled up the various uh, musical themes and such from Rebels, so it's easy to find. But, but yeah, it's brilliantly done. I like that. But for you, how is that? How is that seeing a character that that you conceived of and, and created? I mean, it's you know, Coruscant was one thing, yeah, um, which had still kind of come from Ralph McQuarrie stuff. But Thrawn is part and parcel your creation. Yeah. What's that like seeing him move and breathe in a way that you hadn't in the before uh, astonishing I mean they're, they're, I could get the, the thesaurus out and start <laughs> listing but it, it's, it's, it's just been very cool it's been exciting um, it, one of the, I, I remember one of the fears after the uh, London announcement that I picked up on the internet some of you are saying well they're going to ruin the character because he's going to have to lose to teenagers every week <laughs> <laughs> and, and I figured okay the Rebels team, with the story group over them, understands the character. They're not going to let that happen. And sure enough, what you're seeing, what you saw all the way through was, let them have this little victory. I've learned something about them. And then it all comes together, which is exactly how Thrawn would do things, the long game and such. But yeah, his voice, just mannerisms, um, keying off of different than any other Imperial. This is not a guy who would ever say, you rebel scum. This is a guy who will say, I understand you, I respect you, but you are my enemy and I will crush you. <laughs> Which is, you know, a small consolation, but it's a very different <laughs> character. <laughs> no, I think that was one of my favorite scenes in Rebel Season 3 was when he was facing off with Hera. Yes. Uh, again, a wonderfully done. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, one of the things I appreciate is in the books I can show a little bit about his the way he's thinking, the way he's observing and such. What I especially like to bring out about Hera's heroes is that not only does he come to the conclusion that he does, the correct conclusion about who Hera is and who Ezra is, but you can see the clues he's using. He's not just pulling out of his, out of his ear. You see Ezra pushes way in. You see her holding something that is valueless to anybody but family. You, the audience, get to see the pieces he is pulling and putting together. And that is it's like a mystery. It's being very fair to the viewer. You can see what he's doing. Nobody else in the, in the show is there, but you know, have the inside information. You can see the pieces he's finding. That was another great scene where he kind of like has to explain to, to Colonel Yularen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's going on with Callus? Like he's the only one who can see it, and everyone yeah. else in the Empire would have been fooled. Yeah, and Yularen's a r- relatively smart dude too, but it's still like it makes him seem so pedestrian next to somebody as brilliant as Thrawn. But again, it's the the in, in, interest in information mm-hmm. that Thrawn has. The reason he's ahead of Yularen on that one is because I recognize the artwork between these. Yeah. That means this person did this. That means he is him. That means he should have noticed, and that means he's a traitor. Yep. So Yularen doesn't have the bits of information. They're there, but he doesn't see them or notice them. Um, Matt, I know, and I'm not sure how much you can talk about it, but in in vague generalities, um, this isn't necessarily the first time Thrawn has come to comic books, but they're adapting Mm -hmm. the book Thrawn. Um, How is the approach changing from the story perspective based on sort of previous iterations of Thrawn in the comics we've seen? Well, I mean... 
the story's not changing. It's a mm-hmm. it's an adaptation. But I think if any of you read the Rogue One comic adaptation, uh, Jodie Hauser wrote that, and she's also working on the Thrawn book. And you can see how she really utilizes the comic medium to tell this story. And so while it's the same story, it's it's really tailored to be a comic book. Where I think the the previous ad- comic adaptations were just more of a straight retelling. I think Jody gives it, you know, an extra real comic book lens to put it through it. It makes it makes it unique and I think fans of the book will love it and fans that haven't read the book will will love it too. Um, I'd like to to take some questions if anybody wants to come up to the microphone. That was fast. So, and also uh, once you've done, once you've finished asking a question, if I could ask you to ask your question, then instead of sitting back down, come over to this side of the room until, or come over to this side of the room after the panel. That'll work. Okay. Yeah. What's your question? <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> nudge, nudge. Um, I think one of my favorite parts in the new. Thrawn book is the relationship between him and Eli Vanto, yeah. a character that, as far as I know, we haven't ever seen before. Correct. Um, and I feel like that really gives us a new perspective on Thrawn. Um, and so my question is, where did the inspiration for Eli come from? Is he based on someone that you know and that you can think of, a relationship that you have with someone else, or is it just a part of... Um, creating that relationship between Thrawn and giving him a different perspective. There is a, I mean, when you've got somebody like a Sherlock Holmes type character like Thrawn, you need some kind of a Watson type thing. In the original trilogy, that was uh, Captain Pelion. Uh, here, the dynamic would be very different. People said, well, you're bringing Pelion back. Well, the dynamic would be different. There's not really anything to gain by bringing the same character. So let's start with someone who's starting low on the totem pole, especially someone who will now have to learn that, yeah, this guy is worth hitching my wagon to, whether I liked it originally or not. One of the things people have, uh, people, a lot of people have uh, called uh, the Thrawn the, the Sherlock Holmes type. One of the big differences in that, that uh, dynamic is that Holmes was never a teacher. He would occasionally say to Watson, you know, what do you see from all of this? Uh, very good. You missed all, everything of importance, but you know you caught a couple of trivial things. Thrawn, on the other hand, if he finds someone who's teachable, he will be teaching them. He did that with Pelion, and he's done it with Eli. Um, and I think that, I don't know if it humanizes him, but it makes him a little more easier to understand. This is somebody who is a genius, but he wants to pass that genius on to people who are willing to accept it. Thank you. Thank you for your question. Um, Thrawn's always been one of my favorite villains just because he's not the typical you rebel scum and stuff like that. He's a, he's a, always a, looking at the different artworks and the stereotypes of uh, you know, the different cultures and stuff. How did you, how did you come up with that idea? Because like, uh, you usually don't see a, a, um, like a Sherlock Holmes mm-hmm. type uh, villain or something saying, oh, he likes comic books, so he's going to act in this way. How did you come around with that? And also, how did you come up with the name Myth- Mithron... Arad- Mithron Uru Odo. Yeah. Yes. It's pronounced like it's spelled. <laughs> you might be the only person on earth that can pronounce it correctly. Well, I, I come close. The Chiss have a slightly different way of pronouncing it, but it'd be that way. Um, 
I really wish there was some great epiphany story about that. It just, the art thing came as I was developing the character, working on the plot and developing the character. Uh, it was a, well, this would be kind of cool artwork. It's kind of like a, a Jedi thing where nobody understands it except him, but it's very useful for him. Uh, but it just kind of naturally came out of the whole uh, uh, plotting and character development process. Uh, well, there's another question on that. Uh, Where he came up with the name? Oh, the name. Uh, Thrawn had, it, obviously it was in the, uh, okay, first of backup, people have said, okay, Thrawn and Zahn are very close. Uh, <laughs> wink, wink. No. <laughs> Early on in the development, I thought that Thrawn might have some psychological problems, a bit of neuroses, being the only non-human in the uh, higher echelons of the Imperial fleet. Uh, I dropped that idea fairly soon, put all the crazy stuff onto Jorah Sabaoth instead. But I had come up with a name already, Thrawn, and I decided to keep it. Thrawn is the Scottish word for twisted. So that is where the core name came from. When West End Games was doing the, uh, the, the role-playing source books for the, for the novels, they came up with a first name for him. And I thought, you know, that's very pedestrian. Let's do something else instead. I got this in their galley form, so it never saw print. Let's come up with something else. And so I came up with the, the core name sort of uh, style for uh, Chiss names. Uh, and so that was a... I don't want him to be, this would be a normal first, last name thing. Let's do something else. Thank you for your question. Thanks. Next. So when they first approached you about doing uh, <clears throat> Thrawn and Rebels, were you nervous or scared of what they might do with the character? Also, would you like to see him in any live action? Uh, second answer is absolutely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that's, Yeah. That, that is obviously out of, out of my hands. It's entirely up to what Lucasfilm decides to do. I think he could support live action, uh, but we'll see what, what they decide to do. Um, okay, lost the first question. My brain is not working. So well was, were you... Um, oh, how was I when, yeah. when they said... Uh, actually, all the, the, the bulk of the nervousness came ahead of that announcement because they had invited me to Lucasfilm but hadn't told me why. Uh, about two weeks after this convention uh, back in 2015 I got email and said "Uh, we'd like you to come down to Lucasfilm to chat with Dave Filoni about Star Wars okay Uh, for various scheduling reasons I couldn't get there until November we're getting little notes back and forth and, and I'm gleaning stuff about okay so Dave Filoni will be there some of the story group will be there Dave has budgeted two hours. Dave is a very busy person. He can't budget two hours just to chat about Star Wars. But they would not tell me what was actually going on. And then, and then the, uh, the capstone to the whole thing is I arrive in San Francisco. I'm waiting for my luggage. I, oh, I'll check email one more time. And a note saying, oh, by the way, there might be a film crew at the meeting. Would that be okay? <laughs> a film crew? <laughs> okay, so my nervous litness was already ramped up by the time I got to Lucasfilm and uh, 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 Jen Heddle took me to lunch at the, the commissary and of course she's not telling me anything either 
I get to the conference room. There's a big, big table. I'm, I'm early for the, the meeting. Conference room here. Over here is all the snackage and water, so that's got to be the head. So I'll sit down here at the, at the foot until we figure out what's going on. And people start drifting in, and Leland Shi and, and Pablo, who I've known, we've been known for many, many years, and uh, saying hello and everything. And, oh, here, come sit over here by the head of the table instead. <laughs> okay, that's where the film crew's cameras are kind of pointing. Okay. <laughs> Leland comes in, I, I say, do you know what's going on? He says, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking, someday, Leland, I'm going to know something you don't, and I'm not going to tell you either. <laughs> so I, it, I'm, I'm sitting here, and the story group, other story group members are drifting in, and it's always, hi, I'm so-and-so, big fan. So, okay, I'm not in trouble. <laughs> That's about as far as I know. They're not flying me to San Francisco and putting me up to, t- to yell at me. They can do that on, on the phone. And then finally, uh, Curie and Dave come in and sit down kind of at the head of the table, and then they drop the news on me. And uh, at that point, I was just, you know, the, the re- relief was immediately followed by the wow uh, whole thing. Um, took me down and showed me the, the, the clip of him coming into the Star Destroyer for his first entrance into season three of Rebels, basically. And then we, they showed me all the bullpen and everything, got to meet a lot of the other the people working on Rebels. And then four of us went upstairs and discussed the book that they wanted me to write. So it was one of those, okay, I mean, the, the fear, I, I don't think I ever had the fear that they are going to mess him up. I mean, other people... You know, on the internet, we're worried about it, as I, as I mentioned. But these people grew up with these books. They understand Thrawn. They know better than to bring, let's just use a name and make an entirely different character out of them. That, that, that makes no sense at all. So I think I was trusting all along that they knew what they were doing. Uh, then they started getting me scripts, the, the, the Thrawn-centric scripts that they were allowed to send me for season three, and I'm watching what they're doing with him. And, yeah, they got him right. So um, I, I never had a fear that they were going to mess him up. I figured these guys know what they're doing. I'd seen the, scene, uh, the, the first two seasons. Excuse me. They know how to write characters. They know how to write stories and plots. Let's see what they do. If you're interested in seeing any of those reactions and you know them sitting yeah. in the theater showing them for the first time, it's on the season three Blu-ray. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so yeah. get that. That was a lot of fun. That was actually that was the first special feature I looked up when I got my, when I got my set. Well, my question now is: since I'm on the extras of the Blu-ray and the DVD, am I canon now? <laughs> I'm not sure that's how it works. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny because when the, all of that happened was before I was on Story Group and I was working with StarWars.com, but I saw you and Jen in the commissary, yep. and I'm just like, oh, I know what's <laughs> happening here. <laughs> well, apparently I found out later, Jen had said, you know, we really have to take him to lunch. You know, We can't just <laughs> pretend that he's just somebody who wandered in off the street. And they said, okay, you can take him to lunch. Do not say anything. <laughs> yes, sir. All right, so... I want to see if you can settle a uh, debate I had with a classmate back in high school who was kind of <laughs> Japan-centric. Uh, was there any sort of impri- inspiration of Thrawn's design, mainly a very human-looking alien with blue skin? Was there any sort of inspiration at all from space battleship Yamato 
or, or as some people in the U.S. would know it as star blazers, or is that just coincidence? There, there are only a certain number of colors the skin can be in. I, I, <laughs> and I thought blue skin and red eyes would be a nice... We had several other species with glowing red eyes in Star Wars already, you know, Jawas and several others, so that wouldn't be a big stretch. Uh, no, I, I, I was not influenced by any anime. I'm not sure I knew any anime at that point. Our son had not gotten into his anime kick. Uh, so, no, it was... Sorry about... Uh, which side were you on in that argument? I was on the coincidence side. You win. <laughs> Next question. All right, so um, keeping in mind the mantra, write what you know, one thing I've always wondered is how much of the character of Grand Admiral Thrawn is a reflection of the real worldview of Timothy Zahn? Which specific part? I mean, the, the, I like... No, I'm, I mean, I'm, I, just, I'm just asking generally, you know, in, in developing the character, how much of yourself did you put into that? I used to play chess a lot, so I mean, some of, well, some of that comes in to the, the whole plotting. I'd done a lot of fair number of military science fiction books before the Thrawn trilogy, so I understood something about tactics and strategy and such. So it's it's a matter of I guess I want both sides to be smart. I've, I've you know commented before it's like playing both sides of the chess game. Uh, okay, this side makes a, a cool move. Okay, what is the other side going to do? Okay, let's do that move. How is he going to get out of that? Turn it back around. So that's a lot of how I approach battles and such, of the tactics. Okay, I want both sides to be smart. They can have blind spots. They can make mistakes. But stupid villains are, are boring. Uh, you know, stupid, stupid heroes who get run over by smarter villains are boring. I want both sides to be bringing their A game to the field, and I want to try to reflect that in the, in the books. Both Thrawn and Tim have cold and calculating poker faces. <laughs> I never lied to you about No, you didn't. This. About three weeks before the announcement, I was asking Tim, like, you know, I, well, how would you feel if they brought Thrawn into the, the, the show and stuff? And he's like, well, I don't know. You know, they're going to do whatever they want. And, uh, you know... I think, you know, I think if anybody could do it, I think Dave Filoni could. Well, you know, maybe, maybe, who knows? But, you know, they do their own thing. It's like, so what are you, wor- what are you working on? Like, oh, you know, I got this StarCraft book. Nothing else really coming on. <laughs> and we're at a convention where we've been hanging out for like three days straight. And I'm just like, cool, you know, that's awesome. So I go to Celebration Europe and I'm sitting in the room when they announce Thrawn. And there comes Tim on the video going like, the book's already done. <laughs> Never, like, him and Thrawn the, have the same poker face. The, the, the uh, Lucasfilm non-disclosure agreements, you know, I signed two before they showed me any of this thing. The standard one where you go in that mentions your firstborn, and the special, and the special one that defines which is your dominant kidney. Uh, <laughs> actually, a, a month or two, I think, after the, the November announcement to me about uh, Thrawn and Rebels, a word came down to Del Rey from, I think, from Disney saying, you know, you should have Zahn not talk about Star Wars anymore. And I explained, Del Rey knew this, but I explained, if I suddenly stop talking about Star Wars, that red flags are going to go up all over the planet. (laughs) 
let me just say what I have been saying all along, which is you know, absolutely true. I mean, pe- a couple of people have commented to me about, you know, the great poker face last time you were here. Well, last time I was here was two months before I knew, so <laughs> the, the, the answer is still the same. It's up to Lucasfilm. If they want me to do more books, they know where to find me. And I just keep talking the way I have been talking. It's still absolutely true statements. I'm not lying to anybody. But don't tell me not to talk about Star Wars. That would, they would know something was in the works. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so this question, um, I don't know the complete definite fate of Thrawn in the canon, but, um, and as well as Rebels. Um, do you think we, uh, we could ever see Thrawn change sides, or what would it take to have him like switch sides? You got me. <laughs> I don't know. I think the, the, way we've, well, the way we've set him up is, or the way I've set him up is, that he is expecting serious trouble to come out of the unknown regions. He needs this group uh, with this part of the galaxy to be ready to withstand it. Everything that I've written with him so far, it's the Empire that he sided with because they're the best able to deal with what's coming. If he could be convinced that the Rebellion or later the New Republic was able, better able, he would probably change sides because that is his ultimate goal, defending against this nastiness. Thank you. So my question is, do you ever see Vader and Throng in a battle? And if you do, <laughs> who do you think would win? Like, and this would be a battle with Vader doesn't use the Force, Vader doesn't use a lightsaber, Thrawn doesn't use a gun. And they fight hand-to-hand. Who do you think would win? <laughs> I have no idea. First of all, I have no idea why that would, get, it would ever happen. Um... <laughs> I, I will. I can't answer that question because I would have to know, you know, how it all happened. I will say one thing, though. Uh, I think it was last year at uh, Convention Florida Necronomicon, there was a a uh, villains smackdown panel where there were four of us on the panel, and we got to each choose a villain for the the rounds, and the audience voted on four other ones, and then we did two by two, and it ended up with Thrawn versus Lex Luthor. <laughs> it's not too far from what you're suggesting. The other three panelists each decided, you know, Thrawn would win or Luther would win. Got down to me, I said, Thrawn would recruit Luther. <laughs> Thrawn would find out what you want. If I can, if we can work together, let's work together. With always being prepared, if he gets you know, betrayed, he can, you know, squash him like a bug or something. But the idea that I, I would envision if Thrawn was up against Vader, again, it would depend on the scenario, but I would he would probably suggest they work together, is my, my thought. And again, without knowing any scenario, I can't really say in a vacuum, but I like the uh, Thrawn recruit Lex Luthor idea. <laughs> I th- Thank you. The, the answer is very much like who does the writer need to win for the story to work best? Yeah. That's always the answer. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, um, I forgot. <laughs> Welcome to my world. Yeah. Right. Um, oh, about Vader. That got me thinking. So, like, um, when Thrawn first meets Vader near the end of the Thrawn book, do you think, like, he 
knew that was Anakin Skywalker, or do you think, like, how long would it take him to figure it out, do you think? I don't think he would know right away. It would take some time of knowing him. I have no idea how long it would take to figure it And part of it would depend on what Vader says, what Vader does, if they could make that kind of connection, how much, how well he'd known Anakin, for, for, for one thing, would, would be another factor that would enter into that. So I'm sure given enough time and enough contact with Vader, he could eventually figure it out. Uh, but again, parameters of story without knowing any of those details. And as Matt said, you know, who, who needs to know or whether he needs to know for the story or whatever. Uh, eventually he could figure it out, I'm sure. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That'd be a hell of a moment to see. Mm-hmm. That yeah. would be a hell of a moment to see play out. Yeah. Well, thank you, Mr. Shron- uh, Mr. Zahn, <laughs> for coming to Salt Lake Comic Con. My first thing I would like to say is thank you so much because I am a veteran and most of the time writers and filmmakers they just hand wave military protocol and military thought. Thank you for your service. Well thank you sir. But my first question is you seem like you do a lot of research into your characters and stuff. Did you research any classic strategical thinkers like Machiavelli, Sun Tzu and which ones did you incorporate into Thrawn's philosophy? I didn't put anything specific into Thrawn but I've read a lot of military history and so all of those little bits and pieces, everything goes into this grab bag in the back of an author's brain and you know starts coming out recombined and, and everything. So there's no specific person or tactical skill that Thrawn is based on. It's kind of a compilation of everything, all the best that the, the best uh, commanders have had over the years. So nothing specific, but definitely the, all the military reading I've done has entered into all of that. Thank you. Thank you. I, my uh, my question is: um, after reading the book, you guys all say villain, but even throughout the whole book, he was a hero. I think because you keep saying he's looking for people or some way to defend against something awful in the unknown regions. So, when you were writing the book, did you still see him as a villain, or did he still did he have those heroic qualities that he, he really had? good intentions the whole time no matter what he did there there wasn't that much of that in the original trilogy because we had everybody else's kind of reacting to him it was in the hand of thrawn duology i started bringing some of that out and some of the short stories that i'd written in between as well we started bringing out why he's doing what he's doing and such so it's not a matter of i will change this it's just i haven't filled in these details yet let's let's work on those so, uh, yeah, I mean, it worked that way. It's not incompatible. You just don't see that much in the Thrawn trilogies because, frankly, there's an awful lot of other stuff going on. We didn't, I didn't really have time to delve into that. There was a really interesting moment in the book, and I don't know if you want to talk about it briefly, but uh, in the new Thrawn book, there was this moment where it's like, yes, you feel like Thrawn is that heroic sort of character, like as, as heroic as an Imperial officer can be, but then there's that moment where he sort of turns a blind eye to, like, atrocities happening mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that uh, that really sort of turns the understanding of the character and saying, oh, he's willing to to buy anything if he thinks... And, and that sort of painted him more as the villain for me. That's, that's You're, you're talking about the Wookiee situation. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, I had that a little softer, and they came back. You guys came back and said, well, he is the villain in Rebels. <laughs> he needs to do something at least a little villainous or have a villainous yeah. attitude someplace in the book. So that was softer before, and I hardened that down... And, and I understood. I mean, it's, uh, 
I, I should point out at this point that the story group and Matt in particular had a lot of comments through the manuscript and I don't think there was anyone in there that I said that doesn't make any sense. They were all very good. Very, That's good to hear. <laughs> very, but, but between Story Group and my own editor at Del Rey, we got a better book than the one I turned in, and I appreciate that. And people say, well, you, you know, people always mess with you. Does Lucasfilm mess with your book? Yeah, they make it better. So, we should uh, try. <laughs> but no, that, that was not something I had done in the original, but it made sense. And they also tell me why. So we, don't, we want them to be nastier. Don't they, they don't just say that. We want him to be a little nastier because, remember, he's the villain in, in, mm-hmm. in Rebels. Okay, makes sense. We can harden this down a little bit and, and make that a little bit of a ew moment or something mm-hmm. for the readers. And you know they say every villain is the hero of their own story, and in this book, Thrawn is the hero of this story. So, you know, from his point of view, he's not a villain, but that doesn't make him not a villain in the larger scale of the galaxy. That work, that work. That, that collaborative work really shows. Mm-hmm. Like, it really ties into everything really yeah. well. Okay, so we know that General Hux's cat's name is Millicent. <laughs> did, uh, did Thrawn ever name his Isulamari? Uh, as far as I know, he didn't. Um, yeah, they, they, they still say that those are not canon. I think I've got a way of pitching it that might work, but, you know. <laughs> well... But will it have a name after you pitch it? Millicent uh, isn't exactly <laughs> canon either, so if he were to name them... In your head, canon. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think he's the type to name animals like that. That's a talent card thing, you know, mm-hmm. Sturm and Drang as Warnskers. <laughs> That's a little too sentimental for Thrawn, I think. Yeah, it's... And, and by the way, before anybody asks about Mar or anybody else... yeah. Lucasfilm is deciding it's kind of like okay we're going to make new movies new TV shows everybody off the stage while we decide what we're doing and then we can invite you back as we've got a spot for you Thrawn has made it back in uh, and, and the people who say you should make a movie about you know, Thrawn well I don't get to make movies so, and I don't get to decide who gets back into canon or whatever but my experience so far with Thrawn and watching other things is these guys will bring in and do what works for the storylines and um, doing a good job of it. I believe there's another character. I, want, I don't want to completely out it, but I know you'll know if it's announced. Warwick's character? Yes. Yes, yes that was yes. in the season four um, trailer. Ruch. Yeah, he's, he's uh, playing Thrawn, sort of enforcer assassin in season four of Rebels. Yeah. And he's so awesome. And Warwick Davis getting to actually do voice work is amazing. If you were to choose a live-action actor for Thrawn, do you know who, would, who, would, uh, who you would choose? I get this question a lot as well. The problem is I see my characters in terms of attitude and personality, not face and you know, height or size or anything. So people say, who would you like to play Thrawn? I don't know. Anybody who can capture the attitude could probably do that. That being said, the two names that have shown up most frequently are Benedict Cumberbatch, who might be a little young. Uh, I kind of like the idea of Jeremy Irons. Mm. However, uh, uh, Lars Mickelson could pull it off as well, and he's got, already got the voice. Yep. Such a great voice. Yeah. So you seem to have like a really, really good understanding of the established characters in Star Wars mm-hmm. when you write for them. Okay. I loved your comment that Princess Leia is kind of like Captain America. Remember you said that she kind of fills the same role a little bit? Yeah, um, did you expand on that thing? 
though they're scratching your head. She doesn't have a shield. Um, <laughs> in the original trilogy, you've got big character arcs for Luke and for Han. You don't have as much for Leia because Leia's already made her choice. She doesn't need to change. She's already got. She, she is the Captain America thing is that she is the anchor for everything. She is the anchor point. Uh, Cap is a conscience of the Avengers. I'm not sure Leia is a conscience so much, but she's the anchor. She doesn't have to change because all of these decisions everybody else is going through, she's already made them. So she, she doesn't need a big as big a character arc. She's already there. Right. So anyway, yeah. And I love that. And I just, since you have that understanding, I was wondering how you approach that in your books. Like, you get nervous about writing for those established characters, about getting those characters right. Um, that, that is always one of the big fears because if you don't get the characters right, it's not Star Wars. It's an adventure of two guys named Han and Luke. Right. And it's not the same, and everybody knows it's not the same. It's a waste of effort for everybody involved. Right. So, yeah, that is one of the big fears going in. Can I capture these characters? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. With the character of Night Swan, mm-hmm. uh, was there anything you were trying to accomplish in particular with him or just have a, a good foil for Thrawn? A good foil, but something that we haven't seen before. Someone who's not really a rebel, not really anything. And just kind of he's being driven by conscience, which is something Thrawn will understand. And, and yet is, at the same time, a tactical genius on his own on his own part. So did you have any feels when you were thinking, you know, Holmes versus Moriarty? Well, yeah, was and that Night was, I Swan couldn't kind figure, of Night Swan, Night Swan, well, I felt like he was the Sherlock Holmes. That was when I started realizing, wait a second, he's Moriarty, he's not Holmes. It was because <laughs> Night Swan had, had played that foil and you're, you're, you're watching the story from Moriarty's perspective at that point. But then the book kind of swings back mm-hmm. when he's being so honorable mm-hmm. with Night yeah. Swan where Moriarty would have just tossed him off the falls. Yeah. Yeah, it, it just trying to do a little bit different character and somebody, though, who can be a challenge for Thrawn. Yeah, my question is that uh, you've been writing the character for a very long time. The story group at Lucasfilm is very conscious of your work. And even before the Disney buyout, Thrawn was near the top of every fan list for, the, for Star Wars characters. When did you first realize that Thrawn was going to have the impact on Star Wars that it has? probably when the list started coming out of fan favorites and such, you never go into a book thinking, okay, this is, this is a character people are going to really grab onto. You do the, the best story you can, the best characters you can, and you never know whether a character is going to grab the audience. Uh, it's, you, you feel very fortunate when you, when you have a situation like that, and I was doubly fortunate in that it, uh, Thrawn and Mara Jade both captured the, the, the reader's Love, you know, interest, etc. Um, but you never go in, and I—it's—it's it's a gradual thing. Uh, you know, okay, the books have sold, great. That's probably because Luke and Han and Leia are in there. Okay, now the lists are coming back. Mara's on a list. Oh, cool. List comes back. Oh, Thrawn is on the list. They're making action figures, and it's—it's it's a gradual process of. And, and one of the really cool things is at Celebration London when uh, they showed the Rebels trailer. We watched it streaming live and listening to the audience reaction. And 
we have you know, the, the, the bump of, in, of uh, excitement when Wedge shows up. We get to, you know, the, the little bit of laughter when Hondo again shows up. We can't get rid of this guy. He's a cool guy, but you know, from the uh, rebels' point of view, we can't get rid of this thing. Um, and then all we need is Price saying, I need someone who sees the bigger picture. They start zooming in on someone. You cannot see anything about that person. The audience is already figuring it out. And I'm listening to this thinking, this character is 25 years old, but he's still current. They're still, they're still, they still know him. That may have been the, the, the biggest kick of, I guess he is popular. They, they haven't forgotten him. And then when he walks out of the shadows and, and everybody goes crazy, okay, these people know the character. And many of them weren't alive when I wrote the books. Can I tell you about Celebration London? I was in the room for that Thrawn announcement, and I was in the room for the Rogue hating, One. Hating me. No, not hating you. I was, I was so happy for you, I can't even, I can't even describe. Um, and I was there for the Rogue One panel where uh, Ben Mendelsohn came out dressed as Orson Krennic and whatnot. We saw the new, the, new, the new trailer no one else saw and everything. And the reaction for that in the room was half as much mm-hmm. as Thrawn's reaction in the room mm-hmm. uh, for that panel. It was, it was unreal. It was unlike anything I'd seen at a celebration. It, it's, it's one of those things, and, and it's again, I did this. I, how did I do this? <laughs> how do you do it again? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm just me. I'm not George Lucas. I'm not, you know, how do I do this? How did I do this? It's amazing. I astonish myself. Sometimes I even amaze myself. <laughs> it's funny, at, uh, at Celebration London, before that panel, I saw a guy in, in Thrawn cosplay. And I'm like, hey, are you going to the Rebels panel today? And he's like, oh, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, go to the Rebels panel today. <laughs> and then I saw him later, and he's like, thank you so much. <laughs> so we've got about five minutes. We've got a, a time for a couple of quick questions. I'm sorry we didn't get through all of them. This is more questions than I've ever seen yeah. in a panel. If you got to pick your place in the Star Wars universe, what role would you write for yourself? What role would I write for myself? Um... Didn't you get to play Talon Card? Well, I got to, you know, wear the wig and, and sit at the table. But that counts. Talon Card would be a good one. I like him. He's kind of, I always envisioned him as where Han would be if he hadn't dropped into that cantina and most likely for a drink that day. You know, the, the, the guy who is, I'm a smuggler, I'm an information broker, but he's got a core values even if he wouldn't admit it. So Talon Card, I would... Aid or second command to Grand Admiral Thrawn would be very cool too, because I would learn a lot from him. Um, other than that, probably a Jedi, because I like lightsabers. <laughs> Actually, what I what I really need is to get in, you know, a, a walk-on role in one of the movies, so I can start, you know, selling those pictures for thirty bucks each and not have to lug, you know, two hundred pounds of books every convention. <laughs> make life so much easier. Yeah. yeah. You could probably just do that with pictures of Thrawn from Rebels. <laughs> um, in the original Heir to the Empire trilogy, um, I was wondering what kind of, what was behind your thought process in having Thrawn have what might be considered such an ignominious death rather than some kind of a glorious, you know, I, death in battle, defeated in battle. It, well, three reasons. One, I, if, you don't, if the villain gets away, 
there's no closure. I wanted this to be a closed section. Bear in mind, we didn't know when we set this up if there would ever be any more Star Wars books. Nobody knew if the fans were still out there because they were being very quiet. I think this was a test case on some level of are, are people even interested in Star Wars anymore. So I wanted to have this the, the series close. Second, if Thrawn gets away, the New Republic is doomed eventually. No way around that. <laughs> And third, that I knew there were going to be other writers now that we, by, the top, by the end of the, the series, they had already contracted 12 more books with different writers. And frankly, I didn't want anybody else messing with him. <laughs> I have to say, it was so artistically done. Yes, thank you. But, but the, key, the key is that... Thank you. I saw what you did there. The key is that the only way you take down Thrawn, and, and Rebels has done this, has shown, they understand the meta as well, is something he can't control or information he doesn't have. Mm-hmm. What takes him down in the Thrawn trilogy is one piece of information that he doesn't have and doesn't know that he doesn't have, and that is Leia is Vader's daughter. Without that, none of the rest of that, the betrayal, ever works. That is the key bit. That's where it starts unraveling whether he knows it or not. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't know he doesn't have that information. So, and again, the, the final battle in season three, I could go on about that, but there are people who haven't seen it yet. Uh, it's just wonderfully done. Again, I come by my table and I can, I can give it to you in, in more detail. So um, we're about out of time and we want to take care of all of this. I'm so sorry. Uh, we- I'm, I'm really sorry. We, we just don't have enough time. Uh, Tim, can you tell people where they can find you at the convention if they want to ask you more questions I, about I'm, Thrawn? For the next hour, I'm at uh, booth 519. I'm right across from Author's Alley. Uh, I've got a signing over at... Uh, but, oh, I'm sorry, Artist Alley. Um, at 3, I have a, a signing at the uh, Shadow Mountain booth and then after that I go immediately to a world builders the world builders thing probably won't get back to the rest of the day I'll be here all day tomorrow minus two panels and a uh, a signing so but for the next hour I'll be at uh, booth 519 so just just to explain what happened over here with the questions Salt Lake Comic Con somehow got their hands on like the last two boxes of Barnes and Noble exclusive Thrawn covers um so Go buy Tim's booth and buy some other books and have him sign these ones. <laughs> you don't need to buy anything else. No, you don't these. need to, but I'm just encouraging them gently. <laughs> thank you. So I would like to thank you, uh, both of you, for, for coming yeah. and talking to us about Thrawn. And uh, here's to another 25 years of Grand Admiral Thrawn. Thank you. So that was the Thrawn panel. Uh, a lot of really interesting insight, a lot of great stories, and uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. If you want to find uh, Timothy Zahn, you can do so by checking him out on Facebook. That's where his most active sort of online presence is. Matt is at Missing Words on Twitter, and uh, you can always find me at Swankmortron. Uh, for Full of Sith, you can always go to the website there, uh, fullofsith.com, leave us a voicemail on the SpeakPipe app, or send us an, uh, an email. Uh, we'd love, we love to read your emails. Uh, so for my co-hosts, who I'm not doing this with at the moment because we've got all this great content, uh, Mike Pilot and Holly Fry, I'm Brian Young, and the Force will be with you. Always.
Sir, if you'll not be meeting me, I'll close down for a while. <coughs>